So why is Turgenev different than Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and all that heavy stuff? The thing is that Tolstoy and Dostoevsky were very religious. And there's nothing more superstitious and mystical than Russian Orthodox Catholicism. And Turgenev was really an agnostic, if anything. So that's not in there. And that's why I think he's so much more pleasant to read. Hello, Book Society listeners. This discussion about Smoke by Ivan Turgenev is awesome and fun. And Joey Davidow is a expert in this period and this author in particular. And this is a rare case where I think if you are disposed to read the books that we discuss on Book Society, you might want to read this one before you hear the episode because the episode will be a lot richer if you do. The episode is still totally listenable and totally cool and totally interesting if you don't read the book. But it's a pretty short book and Turgenev reads really fast. So if you want to read Smoke by Ivan Turgenev, some links will be in the description of this podcast. I do recommend check it out and then listen to the episode. Probably you'll get a lot out of it listening to this episode and then reading Smoke. So your choice. Here we go. My guest today is Joey Davidow, who is an author, a singer, and I did not know this, but you have a degree from New England Conservatory of Music. So we are both musical. You're a music master. I'm just a music bachelor. Joey's an opera singer, but she is also a novelist and a writer and a brilliant lady. And she also let me stay in her house in Los Angeles when I was 19 one time, which was really cool. So thank you for that. But Joey is now coming to us from Umbria, Italy, where she lives and has lived for the last several years and where I have promised to visit and maybe would have if it had been possible to travel internationally in the last couple of years. But we will do it soon. And the book that Joey selected for today's conversation is Smoke by Ivan Turgenev, a book that she has a special connection to and certainly some expertise in. I had never read it. I'd never read anything by Turgenev. This is the first and only thing of his that I've read, but will not be the last. I really loved it. It's a Russian novel. The 19th century Russian novel is kind of a high art form, and this is a great example of it. The one thing that always bugs me about these books is that I feel like they always just kind of start in the middle, and it takes a little while to understand who everyone is. And part of that is just the way you name Russians is just a little odd because everyone has three names and they interchangeably use them. I read it two times and the second time I think I understood it a little bit better and really liked it more. Yeah, it's a great book. And I just want to say that I love a book whose title sets up a beautiful metaphor and has no other purpose. That I'm really a fan of. Let's just start with you, Joey. What made you pick this book? What do you love about it? What can you tell us about it? I feel strongly that Turgenev has not gotten the kind of reverence since he's passed away, that he should have gotten, and that he belongs with Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, yet people read Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, which are very depressing and very dark, and they don't read Turgenev the way they should. And he's my favorite of all the Russian authors. I kind of grew up on the Russian authors because, as you can tell from my last name, I have a Russian heritage background. And so those were all on the shelves of my father's massive library, and I could read them when I was much too young to understand them. But I was attracted to the lyricism and the gentleness of Turgenev. So when he wrote this book, he got the idea, he started writing in 1862. At that time, he had just come out of house arrest. He had written a eulogy of Gogol when Gogol died, uh, and it was published in the paper, against the czar's censors. And so they arrested him. And he was in jail because he was a big deal. He was in jail for a month. And then they made him spend the next two years 
on his family estate called Spaskoya, which was 300 miles from Moscow. So he was like totally lost in the middle of nowhere. He never saw another soul except his manager. Nobody would even come hardly and go visit him. And so he had already written by the time he got to smoke, he had gotten out of there. He finally gotten his passport back. He had written the books that are supposedly his great masterpieces, most notably Fathers and Sons. And when he wrote Smoke, he was in Baden-Baden, which is a spot town in Western Germany. You can almost see Strasbourg. Well, you can see Strasbourg from there if you climb to the top of the hill. At that time, and probably even now to a lesser extent, Baden-Baden was the playground of the wealthy, especially in the summer. And this is what he captures in this book. It was a place where French aristocrats came, French wealthy people came. Certainly the Russians were all there in big numbers, other Eastern Europeans. They kind of formed cliques and there was a whole hierarchy and a lot of gossip. And the first four chapters of this book are so full of hilarious satire that even like the third time, which I just read it again this week, I was laughing out loud all the time. And I'm thinking, why isn't this guy up there with Oscar Wilde? I mean, this is hilarious. I mean, one of my favorite lines is they touched on many subjects, but never came remotely close to anything interesting. <laughs> so, Because what he was doing was talking about these people who he thought of as superfluous men and certainly superfluous women. They were educated badly. They were incredibly wealthy. They had no purpose in life. And even though some of them professed a great political passion for this or that, there was a big movement, of course, because the serfs had just been liberated. And so for all these centuries, Russia was a serf economy. It was virtual slavery. And so they were trying to adjust to that. They were kind of nervous. And these people to him were just useless people. He really sends them up. And I love that part. I think it's really funny. The other part that you can find in this book, which is his great strength, and it's in all his books, but I actually teach the opening of this book when I'm teaching my writing students how to set time and place, because nobody could evoke a place like Turgenev. And when he describes it, it's like he uses words you wouldn't think of. Everything in the trees and everything evoked an air of happiness. I mean, how do the trees make you happy? But he gets it. And so that when I finally went to Baden-Baden myself, I felt like I'd already been there. I feel like I've been there. There's a big section of Anna Karenina where they're all in Baden-Baden. Right. And there's another book that's set in Baden-Baden, which is The Gambler by Dostoevsky. They were all there. There's like a Gogol Square. If you go to Baden-Baden, Dostoevsky Street, Brahms was there. Clara Schumann was there. Liszt was there. They had a music festival in the summer. It seems like Monaco or something. It's funny the way Turgenev described. These people really seem ridiculous, but they seem so contemporary. That's the thing that I thought of. I thought, now, how am I going to tell a person in 2021 they should read this book when there's this whole big sections that are just monologues by this guy, Patugin, who is one of the stand-ins for Turgenev himself. And it's because they could be talking right now. People are that passionate about their beliefs, right or left. You challenge each other to duels over these things. The scene that sort of gave it away for me was towards the end. I don't want to ruin it for anyone who wants to read it, but he is leaving Baden on the train and he has this revelation that 
politics and the whims of the public are like smoke and they sort of go this way and that way and they have no real direction and they just move kind of randomly and just evaporate and then the train stops in the next town for some reason he just sees all the same people he's just left to try to get away from these people and for some reason that isn't really explained they're all there already and the impression of this scene is that they're all at his train window talking to him I thought of Twitter, social media, that it's like these people are just there all the time saying absolutely nothing, recycling the same things over and over again. And sometimes you're one of them. I've been one of them. I'm sure I have. <laughs> yeah. Invite people for dinner. I can tell you what the conversation will be. And we all agree, but we all get very upset about it. <laughs> That's one of the things, as I said, the description, the way he says a scene, the way he describes a place, he gets actually what the place is about without telling you what's actually there. And then the characterization, which I'll tell you a little bit more about how he gets to that, which is amazing. And then the third thing that he does, he added on to this, because it has a Russian romance, it's passionate and horrible and odd. But then he adds on to this political monologue with Potugin. So when he first decided to write this book in 1861, he thought he was just going to write a love story, this tragic love story of mismatched, wrong time, wrong place, starts out wonderful and it's horrible. But then with all this stuff that's going on in Russia, and he was talking to his friends and he thought, I can't really do this because the characters will be talking about it. And also that's kind of who they are is where they stand politically. And Turgenev himself, always used his art to make a point, a humanitarian point. For instance, the first book that he wrote that got any kind of acclaim was a collection of stories. Some of them had already been published in journals, and it's called variously, depending who translated it, a sportsman's sketches or sketches from a sportsman's notebook. He talks about going out hunting with his serfs, and he makes the serfs into real people who have feelings which is very mind-boggling if you've been treating them like animals. And so is everybody in your family as far back as anybody can remember. So he's always making a political point by telling a story because in the days of huge censorship in Russia, he couldn't write what he makes Batugin say without getting arrested again. Yeah, he makes an allusion to Beecher Stowe in here too, right? Well, this is hilarious because they called him the Russian Harriet Beecher Stowe. So he did that ironically. He put her in kind of like an inside joke to himself because they say that Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin had a hand in the freeing of the slaves. And the czar himself said that when he read the sportsman sketches of Turgenev, that's when he realized that he had to finally abolish this kind of surf slavery. So when this book comes out and he's got all this politics stuff in there, everybody hated him in Russia, it got tremendous publicity, all negative, because the people who were conservative and terrified landowners or how are we going to keep our wealth if we have to free our serfs, hated it. And then the people who were called the young Russians, who were in favor of revolution, these were revolutionaries who continued until 1917 when they really had a revolution. They hated him because they thought he was making fun of them. He wanted to have a gradual change in Russia. So everybody hated this book. But of course, that makes you want to read it. Then it was translated right away to French. He spoke perfect French. So he kind of mostly translated himself and German and English. It was published in America, even. It got tremendous acclaim there. But the Russians hated it. 
So while he's writing this book, he's in Baden-Baden. In every one of Turgenev's books or even his plays, you can see that what's happening in his life parallels what he's writing about in the book and some time before or after. I mean, every writer, even me, we only can draw on our own experience as a human being, no matter what we're writing about. If I'm writing about somebody in the 18th century who's in love with some guy, I mean, I can only relate to it on a human level with my own experience of being in love or being sad or whatever it is. But Turgenev was very literal. So when he would sit down to write a book, he did everything right. He did a very careful outline and a list of characters where he talks about each character, who they are, which is why his character seems so real. His dialogue seems so real. And he put the initials next to each character of the person he was kind of inspired by. So he put an X next to the main character, Litvinov, meaning it was him. But Turgenev actually just says everything he thinks. So he expanded his character when he started to write it after he realized he was going to make it more political. I have a note here in my notes that Patugin shows up to offer words of wisdom. So he kind of just appears three times in the book. He has another job. His first job was to be a go-between. He's like the slave, in a way, of Irina, this woman who our main character is madly in love with. And he's does her bidding. I mean, he engineers everything in her Machiavellian little plan to get to Litvinov. So that was his original job. But then Turgenev gives him all these monologues where he starts spouting Turgenev's political views. Yeah, he's like the omnipotent author's proxy. That's what he is. Yeah. Litvinov is sort of Turgenev's personality. And then Patugin is sort of his authorship. He really knows more about the world. But yeah, it's interesting. I saw Arena as rather not Machiavellian, but sort of a caricature of the damsel in distress, where she's perpetually in distress and needs these men to come to her aid. That was her way of being. I mean, she was in distress before she declares her love when she's a teenager. She's in distress when she marries a rich guy. She's in distress when she sees Litvinov. I mean, that's her MO. She's just always going to be in distress. That's how she sees herself. She's not without resources, obviously. She tries her best to make everything happen the way she wants it. That's how these plebeian men see her, even though in reality, she's a rich lady who has everything she needs. Well, she is now. I mean, she started off very poor. The thing that I like about Irina, because you could say that the woman that our protagonist is supposed to marry is the Madonna creature, and Irina is the whore creature, if you wanted to say that there's characterizing women like that. But he doesn't. He gives her a sympathetic beginning. And so you kind of feel sorry for her because here's her situation. She's poor. Her family is like very high aristocrats with no money. She has to go to this ball and marry a rich guy because otherwise her family isn't going to make it. They're in big trouble. She marries the rich guy. She doesn't really love him and she can't leave him. Even though she loved to run away with Litvinov, who she fell in love with when she was a teenager, why can't she leave them? Because she's supporting her whole family with his money. She doesn't have any money. She says, all her money is his. I just got my jewels. She's got sisters who need to get married, who need to have coming out parties and dresses. She's got old parents who are still living in the little house, but she's sending all the money. If she gives that up as much as she wants to, She's betraying her whole family. So that's why she becomes more of a tragic figure than just a bitch. Because throughout the way she's acting, you kind of say, oh my God, lady, give it a rest. But then you realize what this poor woman is stuck. They're all stuck. So at the time that he wrote this, Turgenev was in Baden-Baden because he was following a woman who was already married, who he had fallen in love with as a very young man, 
when she was a very young woman who he had followed all his life. They were apart for years, especially when he was under house arrest and he couldn't get out of Russia. He didn't have a passport, but he never stopped being in love with her. And finally, she was a big, famous opera singer. I wrote a book about this and she <laughs> had just retired from the stage and she was still only in her 40s. She was a great manipulator, I must say. She gets her husband to write to Turgenev and say, oh, why don't you come stay with us in Baden-Baden? You'd like it here. It's full of Russians. Okay. <laughs> he goes to Baden-Baden, but he's in the same position that he puts Nidvignev in. Because when he was apart from her and thought he was never going to get out of there, he began a courtship with a distant cousin of his named Olga Turgenev. And he thought about marrying her. And then he realized that he couldn't because it was only fair to marry somebody if you could give them your whole heart. And most of his heart was already taken up by this woman he could never have. I was married. Yeah, it's such a strange love triangle in this. It is, but that's his story too. That's why it sounds so real, because he knew it. He had done the same thing that he makes Litvinyev do. So Litvinyev, I think, doesn't do it. I know from another book called An Unofficial Marriage that someone I know wrote, <laughs> that Irina asks Litvinov, I can't marry you, even though I said I would and I had you break off my engagement. I can't run away with you. But why don't you move to St. Petersburg and we'll set you up and you can just live close to me and basically be my lover. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. But Turgenev did actually do that. Turgenev did it. What would have happened if I hadn't gone to that party and met that guy and married him? He made up a book about what would have happened if. Yeah, this is his alternate universe where he ends up running his father's farm. So to me, the book is everything. It has a great atmosphere. It takes me into this place that I'll never go because it's over. I can't go back to 1865 or whatever. It takes me to another time. It takes me to this milieu of aristocrats and these people who have everything and nothing. And I have these characters who are almost like caricatures. And it's funny and it's political. And at the same time, he's got this heartbreaking plot that's sad. And it's a little gem. It's not war and peace. You don't have to suffer through it. What I hope it does to our dear listeners is introduce them to this wonderful, brilliant, gorgeous, overlooked Russian writer. And if you have stayed away from Russian writers because you think, my God, they're so heavy, they're so depressing, they're so black, read Turgenev. He's gentle, he's human. You fall in love with his characters and you get swept away. For me, it's a lesson in writing. But a lesson in dialogue, a lesson in humor, a lesson in description. I've read a lot of Russians this year for some reason. I've always been a fan of the Russians. But Turgenev really has a different view of Russian society than Tolstoy and then Dostoevsky. So I took a Russian history course in high school, and I remember precisely one thing from it, which is that the professor came in and he read a quote from a famous Russian historian that said, Russia is always beaten for her backwardness. Right. There were two factions in Russia, and Turgenev was considered a Westerner. There were those who believed that Russia was backward and that it needed to be beaten for its backwardness and that it should become more like the West, which was more enlightened. So you mentioned that Turgenev spoke fluent French, which this is an interesting thing for people who aren't fans of Russian literature, that all aristocratic Russians spoke French to each other in the 19th century. I mean, they spoke Russian as well, but they spoke French to each other. They spoke French to each other. They spoke Russian to the servants. So why is Turgenev different than Dostoevsky and Tolstoy and all that heavy stuff? The thing is that Tolstoy and Dostoevsky were very religious. 
And there's nothing more superstitious and mystical than Russian Orthodox Catholicism. And Turgenev was really an agnostic, if anything. So that's not in there. And that's why I think he's so much more pleasant to read. <laughs> yeah, and he holds up well. One of the things in the introduction to the edition that I read, it says that Turgenev was sort of a darling of revolutionaries for a minute, and then they started to hate him. The reason was that he just kept saying the same thing over and over again, basically. The fate of prophets is to be adored and then despised. So he falls out of favor, everything. It's terrible. And then in his old age, he died in his 60s from cancer. But when he was old, he went back to Russia and was amazed to find out that he had become like a superstar and that people crowded into halls to hear him read or speak. And people were fawning over him. Women were begging for a touch of his glove. When did he die? 1883, about 20 years after the book came out. I guess maybe the stirrings of the Russian Revolution had started by then. It was stirring for a long time. It was on Alexander I. Then Alexander I, who was very repressive, died, and his son Alexander II came in. And Turgenev had a great respect for the son. Under the son, they were able to free the serfs. He says he based Irina on Alexander II's favorite mistress. Wow. So this was a great book. Thank you for recommending it. It was fun to read. This was kind of a short discussion, but it's kind of a short book. So Joey, among other books, her most recent novel is An Unofficial Marriage. If you enjoyed this discussion about Turgenev in 19th century Russia, you're really going to like An Unofficial Marriage because it is about Turgenev and his mistress that we alluded to before and their life together. So there's a blurb on the cover of the book that says it is lyrical and dramatic like the best operas. And that quote is by Book Society guest Esmeralda Santiago, who also happens to be my mother, as devotees will know, because they're like best friends. Joey, tell us a little bit about your book. Give me the spiel. When I decided to write this book, I decided I was going to start writing historical novels. I thought I was really bad at plot, which I haven't changed my mind about that. And so I thought that if I had a story already, then I could make it into a novel. So I went to the LA Public Library and started looking at all the biographies, starting with A. When I got to the letter V, I was ready to give up. And then I found the biography of an opera singer named Pauline Viardot. And when I started to read the book, I realized that she was the great love of Ivan Turgenev, who was my great love as a writer. And I got very excited and I loved this story. I loved the story so much that I spent years after that reading Turgenev, reading Turgenev biographies. I got to read all Turgenev's letters, her letters as much as I could. Those were mostly destroyed. Her letters to him, his letters to Flaubert. It was amazing. And so the story is that when she was a young, young woman, she made her debut at the age of 19. She made her debut in Paris. But she couldn't stay there and continue a career because at that time, a great prima donna sat on the throne of all the big opera houses in Europe. So her seat was taken. This woman, Rosina Stoltz, was the mistress of the director of the Opera de Paris. So she wasn't going to let this girl do nothing. She had to find another way. She became best friends with Georges Saint, the writer because Liszt had been her piano teacher and Liszt had heard her sing in Paris when Chopin came back from his terrible winter in Mallorca with George Sand. He said, you got to go hear this girl. So George Sand was amazed by her and took her under a wing because she thought it wasn't just that she was a great singer. It was that she was a true artist, that she really got the music and gave it to you. And George has great respect for that always. So George said to this girl, 
look, you can't travel by yourself. That doesn't happen in 19th century Europe, right? Your father's dead. Your mother's getting old. You better get married to somebody who can manage your career. And she fixed her up with this guy who was old enough to be her father easily, a very old bachelor named Louis Viardot, who at that time, for some strange reason, was the general director of the Théâtre Italien in Paris, although we didn't have any background in opera specifically. But that was his job, and he had hired her. So he was madly in love with her. She marries him. She likes him. She doesn't love him, but she likes him. But she's just a young girl. And he arranges the first time in a long time, they're going to have a season of Italian opera in St. Petersburg, which at that time was the capital of the empire of Russia. They hired two really famous singers, famous tenor, famous baritone, and they hired her. And because her family was like a dynasty of opera singers, her father had been a very famous tenor who sang when Mozart premiered his operas. And her sister was a legendary singer who died at 28. So she was like the Marilyn Monroe of opera, Maria Malibran. So Pauline Viardot was already a big deal. Before she got there, she was in the newspapers and every magazine every day, all about her family. And when she got there, she was always hounded and surrounded as though the Beatles were in town. So Turgenev, even though he's rich, doesn't have any money. His mother's one of the richest women in Europe, but she won't give him anything. She gives him this tiny allowance so she can control him. So he can't get a good seat, but he gets a cheap seat and he goes all the way up to the cheapest seats, dressed way too nicely to be in there. And he sees this person way down there through his opera glasses. But the ironic thing is about the cheap seats to most opera houses is they have the best sound. So he hears this voice and he sees this creature and he falls instantly, madly, irreparably forever in love. And he was, he died still feeling like that years and years later. He never got over it, but now he has to win her over. And she was not a pretty woman. Queen Victoria said she was oh so sadly ugly. She was known for being ugly, <laughs> but he didn't see that. He just saw this voice and this artistry and, he eventually figured out a way to meet her. He befriended her husband. And this went on for the rest of their lives. They would think they were going to get together. They would break up. His heart would be broken. He tried to be in love with somebody else. He couldn't do it. It just went on and on and on. And that's what the book is about. In the meantime, they get stuck with the cholera epidemic in Paris. There's an uprising on the streets of Paris. They have to run off to London. Finally, they get to Baden-Baden, which is supposed to be where they're going to live out their days in peaceful harmony. By that time, her husband's so old, he doesn't even argue to get to build a house next to her house. And what happens? The Franco-Prussian War breaks out. They're French people in Germany, and they have to leave. He went to London. And until he died, this was what happened. It's one of the most unusual love stories that you'll ever find. And because I was able to find all their letters and all this stuff, what other people said about them, like their friends, George Sand, so on, Flaubert, I could write this book and I had the opportunity to bring it to life in a way that you wouldn't get from just reading a biography or history. I love it. It sounds awesome. It is awesome. The book is an unofficial marriage, Joey Davidow. You can get it wherever you get books. Also, there'll be a link in the description to this podcast episode. So Joey, thank you so much. This has been so much fun and such a fun trip down into 19th century Russia, which is a place I had hoped to go last season. I'm going to end by asking you the question I ask everyone, which is to recommend two books to our audience. Well, the first book I'm going to recommend is very short. 
but very rewarding. And especially for lovers of the work of the great writer, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, his son wrote a book, like a memoir of his parents, which is beautiful. Rodrigo Garcia, the book is called A Farewell to Gabo and Mercedes. Mercedes was his mother. And the other book that I'm going to recommend is the newest book, Louise Erdick, a great writer, Pulitzer Prize winner, and it's called The Night Watchman. It's so touching and such a revelation. And I recommend that very much to anybody who wants to get lost in a great book. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joey. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for writing a book. Thank you for telling us more about Smoke and Turgenev than I could have possibly learned. <laughs> and thank you so much for being a part of it. My great pleasure. For those of you who want to read the books before we discuss them, next week's episode is going to be with author Joshua Jay, author, magician, speaker, really interesting guy. He wrote a book called How Magicians Think and Why Magic Matters. But the book that we're going to discuss, the book that he chose was How Music Works by David Byrne, which is a great book. I reread it for the podcast. I'd read it before. It's really interesting. And we could do a whole podcast series about just the stuff in that book. But we're going to boil it down to one episode. So next week will be Joshua J. And the book we're reading is How Music Works. See you there. See you on Friday. Thank you so much for listening. The Book Society podcast is produced by me, Lucas Cantor. You can reach us at Book Society Pod on Instagram, also BookSocietyPod at gmail.com if you want to send a direct email. My website is LucasCantorMusic.com. You can find me there. We're pretty easy to reach. We love talking about books. Yeah, that's it. Book Society Pod. Get in touch. Listen to more episodes. We release episodes every Friday. Thank you very much for listening. Actually, Santiago, who is editing this podcast, is also a music master. So I am the least educated musician involved on the show at the moment. And yet the most proficient, which shows you what we think of the conservatory system. Mm -hmm.